miserable if you want to. You can oh, leave your God. friends behind. We're back to this again? And if your friends miserable, and if they miserable, well, they're like no friends weeks. of mine. <laughs> Hi, oh everybody. Welcome to I Think You'd Be Into It, Le Podcast, uh, Un Du Problematic Fave. Uh, I'm your host, Brandon Beck. And I'm your other host, Beth Scorzato. And I think we need to start putting the same rule on repeat guests on repeat bits. <laughs> you gotta wait like six months. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm gonna wait exactly as long as I'm gonna wait and not a second longer. Oh my god. Um, so, uh, joining us today to talk about uh, a bunch of sad, dead French people. You know him from uh, Rabble Rabble and Thunderdog at the Pack Theater, and from uh, our improv team that nobody <laughs> cared about for four years, Van Halen, Andrew Lee. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. We also had a uh, two-person team called User Error. Oh, I forgot that we were called User Error, and that you had to pronounce it that way. <laughs> you did. You guys did at least one just absolutely killer mono set in which Brandon just slowly lost his mind. Yeah, the Jeopardy. Yeah, the Jeopardy set where uh, I was a uh, uh, backstage prepping to go on Jeopardy. And you were, I think, everybody else, <laughs> in including uh, like the PA who answered the door and Watson the robot, <laughs> Watson the robot, and Ken Jennings. I think you were like part of the Jennings family. I think that's yeah. I think that's what it was. Is that Ken Jennings was my brother, and then later Watson was also my brother. <laughs> and I I could not remember for the life of me if it was Alec Trebek or Alex Trebek. No one really knows to this day. No one really knows, but one of your like superpowers as an improviser is not letting shit like that go and so you spent the rest of the set not ever saying alex or alec more than once and sometimes saying like alec (laughs) (laughs) um and just leaving me high and dry it is really fun to confuse you on stage though brandon it is i've also seen the improv set where you, I think this was a Van Halen one, where uh, you discovered live on, t- on stage that Tito Puente was dead. <laughs> You're right, yeah. <laughs> there was that one uh, where, where I had to go through that journey. And and I was losing my mind because I could tell that you were really actually genuinely discovering this in real time and were not that yep. good an actor. <laughs> yeah, having to do that, like, ge- that thing that genuinely happens at improv sets sometimes of, I am trying to say this as this character in a way that indicates me, the performer, is asking or saying this, not the character. <laughs> anyway, improv nerds. Improv nerds. That's a, such a long, it's like a lifetime ago, though. It really is. Yeah. So long. But anyway, bef- <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get into uh, Le Topic at Hand, uh, why don't we get into a round of uh, things we're into this week? The thing that I am into this week is the Tedeschi Trucks Band, who are a southern rocky, uh, bluesy, uh, jammy sort of situation, fronted by uh, Derek Trucks and his wife, Susan Tedeschi, uh, who was a singer-songwriter. got to leave that earth alone When I lay it down it says come on Oh, I raise the devil on my own Don't scratch and claw till he's gone Just 
Derek Trucks, who's a slide guitar player, who's like literally been touring since he was like 12. And is that his actual last name? Yeah, Derek Trucks. Yeah. Uh, he's the nephew of Butch Trucks, who was the, uh, I, I know, right? Uh, who d- surprisingly didn't own a garage, but uh, played drums in the Almond Brothers, which is kind of ah. the same thing. Um, it's him on slide guitar and his wife, Susan Tedeschi, uh, who was a singer-songwriter um, on the singer-songwritering. Um, and it's they've got a really cool, uh, like, just very, like, thick blues sound. Um, like, it's one of those bands that, like, you can just hear how much power is coming off of the stage. Um, I think there's, like... 12 people in it, 8 or 12, but it sounds so much bigger. And they just, they just do like a kind of, you know, classical is maybe the wrong way to put it, but just like a sort of like standard jammy blues rock show. But her voice is incredible, and his slide guitar playing is unbelievable. I mean, he was in the Allman Brothers, I think, after Dickie Betts and, you know, played with them for like 20 years which is like uh slide guitar grad school <laughs> basically um and they have a uh, they've recently been doing a, a series of weekly streams called like swamp family tv uh on nugs.net that's right nugs.net um uh that have been pretty good um i really got into them through their uh episode of tiny desk which aired sometime over the last year, which I watched enough times to the point where Beth was like, you're watching again? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Tiny Desk, their audio quality is so good. It's so good. Um, And like the performances are always really, really good too. Um, Because like, I, I like that people seem to like, take it as an event that you're doing a tiny desk rather than just like, well, we're going to do three songs with acoustic guitars and call it a day. Um, you know, like when, uh, run the jewels did it, it was like, Oh, uh, you it was okay. like a whole concert. Yeah. It was like a whole like 20 minute thing. They did a whole one with, uh, the, the Sesame street, Sesame street characters. That's actually pretty good. Um, but yeah, Tiny Desk's fucking rule, and theirs is, I would say, maybe the most jammed out uh, Tiny Desk uh, ever, and that includes Trey Anastasio's, because his was an acoustic set of, uh, like, his sad dad music. <laughs> but yeah, so Tedeschi Trucks Band, if you want to uh, check them out. I'll think about it. Yeah, you better. <laughs> um, I... I have one. It's it's actually it's not like a, a a new this week though. I did I did miss it while I was uh gone. It's probably the time where I would have done it. I finally just um accepted myself and I watched the Blackpink documentary and then I got really into Blackpink and um actually it slaps. <laughs> and that's Okay, really what is it. what is Blackpink? <laughs> it's K-pop. <laughs> it's a K-pop girl group. <laughs> Gotcha. I don't know. Watch the documentary. Figure it out. Uh, <laughs> I think yeah, I keep no. thinking it's that comic book Black Sad, which is about like a no, cat detective. That's like a, yeah, that's like a cat detective in 1920s Paris or something. Um, there could have been a documentary about him. We don't know what he did. Very different. Um, phenomenal comic, but very different. Uh, yeah, I yeah, it's good. It slaps y'all. I don't know what else to tell you. How many members are there? Four. 
Oh, okay. Okay. It's not like BTS where there's like 36 of them. <laughs> and are they all like too young? No, they're like between 20. They're like, I, I think they're, the youngest one is like 18, but they definitely like they went into this. So the thing about the like Korean K-pop scene or whatever is that it's like a very manufactured situation um these people go to these training programs um and it's basically like a a boarding school and you go and you just do nothing but learn how to become like a pop star and some people fail out and then you know at the end if you make it through all the training like you kind of get arranged into a group and so these girls some of them started there when they were like 14 um and they're from all around the world one is from australia one is from thailand um one is from new zealand but they're, are they not all Korean? They are all ethnically Korean, um, except for oh. actually one of them. The, the girl from Thailand, I think, is just ethnically Thai. But the uh, the girl who was from New Zealand and the girl who was from Australia were Korean. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it's really interesting. Look, I, weirdly, I kind of knew a little bit about how the Korean, like, trainee program works already from a <laughs> comic I read on Webtoon. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> It it was also like a really interesting look at this like, like they weren't like they're not secretive about it like they are a group that went through a trainee program and were put together and like they had a debut like their production company that they did their training with or whatever you know like they were their first like girl group debut in years and they they write they work with songwriters and like they are here to manufacture fucking hits dude like they're not secretive about it the point of making music is to make music and sell music so like i don't know it's just it's really interesting how like compared to how in america we often apologize for we we demand people apologize for like doing something because it's going to sell like i remember when lady gaga first came out people were like i can't believe she writes songs specifically because she knows people are gonna like them and i'm like listen to yourself what the fuck are you talking about like people got so mad at her for saying like yeah of course i like engineer things to be bops like and people were like well that's not creativity that's not artistic like and she's like people fucking like it and they're responding to it so what's the why why are you getting mad at me because i've written something people like just because i've calculated just because i've done it slightly calculated of like what are the trends right now doesn't mean that it's not still music and so like i don't know in america we like ask people to apologize for that and in the korean music scene they clearly don't it's really interesting anyway blackpink slaps it's it's good they're good jams <laughs> It was it was wild to watch over the course of about a decade how that in the U.S. Uh, perception sort of shifted from like ugh, they put their song in an iPod commercial uh, as like being a total sellout thing. Now, like if you have your song in an Apple commercial, fucking right on, get that paper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of paper too. Yeah, it is a significant amount of paper. Yeah, we have to like do so. My my job is like working for a small film studio and like I see like what we pay these like trailer companies just to like license like little bits of music that no one's heard of and it's just like thousands of dollars for just like a little bitty like riff or something that you just goes into the trailer that no one knows about yeah it's 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 wild it's wild how much money is uh, flying around and how little of it goes to the artists (laughs) yeah yeah what about you Andrew did you make up anything you're into this week in this time 
Okay, well, I've already mentioned this previous to, previously to Brandon, but I have been watching, or I did recently finish this um, Disney show. It's basically a documentary about the making of Frozen 2. It's called Into the Unknown. Okay. And maybe it's like, because I'm in this like musical mode with Les Mis and all, that's maybe what attracted me, but it's just like a really good look into just like the creative process when you see like basically the director slash writer jennifer lee is like the main character main person that we follow and then you just kind of like see her like day and like how she like talks with like the the lopez's who are the songwriters and like deals with like the art people and like like the different all the different steps that it takes to like make the movie happen you get to see it it's like really fascinating to watch cool and it's also like kind of sad to see like the animators like work on i don't know how much if people know this, they just like work on like two second clips and that's like their whole life just working on this two second clip of, I don't know, Elsa huh. just turning and they like, that's all they, that's all they work on. Yeah. They don't work on like the whole movie. They work on like yeah. very small sections of the movie. Yeah. It's like nuts. Or like you're like a, a rigger whose job it is to like just position a skeleton that then the animator will do. Like everything on an animated movie like that is so like micro uh precise it's wild so that's my thing i know they've done a few behind the scenes things with like disney plus stuff lately and they've all been like look like disney there's a lot of things to critique about disney but they've always been very good at like behind the scenes documentaries like all the way back to the ones that walt used to do at disneyland like oh yeah they're very good at process documentaries oh yeah and like a lot of that early disneyland stuff was basically just waltaganda but (laughs) um it's it's all it's all entertaining that's not the first time you've said that is it uh it actually is actually (laughs) um but even like uh, in the Imagineering story documentary that uh, was one of the premier things on Disney Plus, which just kind of covers all of the Disney parks uh, through the history of Imagineering. When they got to uh, Hong Kong Disneyland, it was really funny how like it went from the very like corporate pre- precise language to just like, yeah, we kind of dropped the ball on that one. Like we wanted to see if we could make it cheap theme park and turns out you can but it's not very good and we we sort of realized that and uh sorry hong kong uh but you 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 knew you were just a dry run for shanghai anyway like you knew this was just a physical thing um uh and then uh after that it's everything with bob Iger is like uh, almost comically corporately spit shined (laughs) but speaking of comically corporately spit shined why don't we get into the topic at hand shall we (laughs) you can't see my face but it's very skeptical yeah where i've spit shined all of his all of his transitions require (laughs) some skepticism you have to have a suspension of disbelief to believe that the transition worked (laughs) it's almost as if i'm doing it on purpose for comedy (laughs) um but yeah uh les miserables uh, I'm pretty sure everyone knows, at least in passing, what Les Mis is. But, uh, Andrew, if you could fill us in on, like, on what Les Mis is, uh, specifically the, the version we're talking about, um, and kind of, like, how you came to it. Sure. So, um, it's a very famous musical 
Um, that was, I believe it came out in the early 80s. The French version came out in the early 80s. And then like the British kind of like jazzed it up and make it a little, made it a little better. <laughs> Took all that French out. <laughs> so it's based on a Vic- the Victor Hugo novel, which is about basically just poor people in France living their lives and like really, really not having a, a great time. And there's like the main guy, Jean Valjean, who is a uh, basically a convict after um, s- stealing a loaf of bread and is sent to jail, breaks his, breaks his parole, and then kind of like starts a new life, becomes the mayor of a town. And then we kind of just like follow him and like various characters from there. And it's like somewhat related to this like rebellion that's not the french revolution but like is very evocative of it yeah it's the there were a lot of um it's during the napoleonic stuff it's it's basically it's basically a rebellion against napoleon really it's part of a it's a napoleonic like uprising it's people rebelling against napoleon yeah yeah it's it's like how mash took place in korea but is about vietnam yeah and it's and it's also it's based on a real rebellion yeah the june 1832 rebellion or the paris uprising of 1832 was an anti-monarchist insurrection of parisian republicans on june 18th like it's it's based on a real war right it's a real war that went badly <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work out for the people that wanted it to work out. So I guess it's not Napoleonic stuff if they're still doing against the monarchy. I don't know when Napoleon was. Fuck it. I think Napoleon was around when Victor Hugo was writing, but that was 30 years later. Mm, yeah, I don't know if this was pre or post Elba. I, I don't know. I mean, well, if there's still a monarchy, then it's Napoleon, gotta be pre- Napoleon was always around. Yeah. <laughs> in our he hearts. was always in our hearts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Everybody loves that little guy. <laughs> Beth, for the record, you know probably more about Lemez than me. Oh, I, I'm I'm sure Beth probably does. Yeah, Beth also has the Wikipedia page open because she wanted to verify what year it came out, and you were dead on. It was 1980, the French production. Ah, yeah. Okay. So there nice. you go. Sweet. So how how did I get into it? Um, my sister was in a Chinese youth choir when she was in middle school or high school, and they sang selections from Lemez. And so she probably like played those songs over and over again, and then it just kind of like earwormed into my brain. Yeah, it'll do that. In in Chinese or in no, they would they so the way that this choir worked you, is you would sing like random, um, like I guess what American songs, English songs. That's what that's what the word is, and <laughs> and uh, they would also do like some some tra- traditional Chinese songs that were kind of kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it sounds like any cultural center youth choir I've yeah, ever heard. Pretty uh, much. Just substitute any ethnicity, any cultural background. <laughs> yeah, it just, just sounds like madrigals. Yeah, it's just it's just a cultural center choir. Yeah. And I don't actually think that I got into it then. I was probably around like thirteen. But now it was 12. in there and you you couldn't really excise it from your brain. It was in the air, it was floating around. And then I actually went to see Lemez on Broadway with my dad. When I was 13. I think that's about the first time I saw it on Broadway, too. And you were immediately impacted. and It was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was a, I think that was a maybe about the, the age I saw it in the West End. Whoa. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, Fancy All right, pants. Rich boy. Okay. Sixth grade summer abroad, jerks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm cool. <laughs> um, but the only things I remember from the show were like the beginning. Because when they're just like, look down. 
and like slamming the floor basically. And then a lady crying on her boyfriend's shoulders. <laughs> Those are like the two things, like my two takeaways from Lemez. From I mean, that's it. about it. If you really <laughs> get down to it. I was just like, why is she crying? Cause I don't think my, my, my emotions haven't developed yet. Sure. I haven't developed yet. Still haven't. Why is she crying could be something you could say to literally just about any scene of Les Mis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, nowadays. Why, is, why, are the, why is this French woman sad? <laughs> Les Miserables. Why is Anne Hathaway so snotty? Les Miserables. I never saw that movie. What? I've seen plenty of other film adaptations of it because, I mean, they've been making film adaptations of it since like the 30s. What, so why didn't, why did you, I mean, it's a, this is like a con- conscious ch- conscious choice not to see this movie, though. Um, I don't think it was a conscious choice at the time, and now I'm just not interested. <laughs> I, I think it was also partly that m- most movies you go to, you would go to with me, and I saw it back at home with my mom and stepdad who uh, fell asleep. Yeah, you saw it, and I was just like, I, I I, had been immersed in Les Mis like, since I was a kid because I saw it pretty, I think actually I might have even been younger than 13 first time I saw it, because I've seen it on Broadway a few times. We used to go with my dance troupe every year to New York for like a competition, and a few years we saw Beauty and the Beast, but I think one year we saw Les Mis. Um, so I've seen it a few times on Broadway and like my mom really liked it. So like there was a period of time where like, I don't know, that was the jam for the car was just the Les Mis soundtrack, you know, <laughs> all two CDs of it. Um, <laughs> those were the car jams just for a while. So like bumping the congregation I... <laughs> on the way to school. Yeah. And then eventually right after we graduated high school, I was so mad. They finally like released, uh, it for like high schools to be allowed to do they finally licensed it and so like we also costumed some young like kids productions of it and like i want to say that the variety show they did when i was growing up maybe it was in there were some songs from it in there too i used to be the little kid that she sang to for the miss saigon song whenever they did that every year because i was just the the person who's the teacher had a kid uh I've got a friend named Miss Saigon. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. No, I think it was Castle on a Cloud was the one that they did in the like off-Broadway review like fundraiser thing they did every year. She flies a chopper in her sleep. But my point is like I've been so immersed in it and I've seen so many versions of it that like I was like, I don't I don't need to see one that doesn't look that good. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, but my point was like I would have been fine seeing it, but then it was like I live in the world and the internet exists. So it became very aware, very fast that like, it was maybe not great. (laughs) That's a good way. That's a good review. It's maybe not great, but it's like decent. It's okay. Yeah. It, there are some things about it that I, I genuinely like respect as choices to have made. They didn't, wind up doing them all that good in the long run. But I thought the idea to have all of the singing be live uh, was a really fascinating choice, um, which is almost never how it's done on musicals. And, like, from a technical point of view, it makes complete fucking sense to record all your vocals beforehand and just lip sync to it. But it does, if it locks the actors in to a performance that will isn't in of that moment that is from a studio however long before and if you're if like the lip syncing is bad it can just be like it can feel really artificial in a way that uh 
bothers the absolute hell out of me. Um, so I thought it was cool that they that they tried that. It didn't always work super well in uh, execution, especially as far as uh, Mr. Uh, Fighting Around the World is concerned. But um, I thought it was a... Uh, Who's Mr. Fighting Around the World? Oh, Rus- Russell Crowe. Uh, oh. There was a South Park episode uh, where half of it is his TV show, Fighting Around the World. Oh. Where it's him and his talking tugboat tugger uh, going around the world and, and fighting just about anyone that looks at him. <laughs> That's a deep reference, Brandon. I, I would have gone Mr. Cinderella Man, Mr. Master and Commander. Oh, I mean, yeah, look, he was Mr. Master and Commander. Who do you think? Who do you think? Whose show do you think this is, Andrew? Yeah. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew Come on, bud. You've me. known me for how whose long? Whose show do you think this is? <laughs> of course, um, he's going to go with the one that requires research. Right. <laughs> So what what was it about Les Mis that uh, appealed to you? Honestly, I think it's just, it was just the repetition in my brain just made me like it. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else to it. That's um, fair. But I guess I'm like, because it's like so melodramatic. Yeah. And it's just like, like I was saying like when I saw that the girl the woman cry when I saw it on Broadway. Um, like I wasn't really sure what she was doing or crying for it. But like nowadays, like if I like watch a video of, of uh, a little fall of rain on YouTube, I'll get like teary eyed just seeing it. I, I did it for like a, I watched like a high school production of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good, it was a good high school production. It was like a Christian high school in Florida. And they did, they had, they really brought their A game. Um, <laughs> did they make any changes to make it more christian <laughs> i didn't get that far yeah they probably there's like probably no fantine fantine definitely can't be a prostitute well i mean she she can because she gets she dies so yeah i know one true. of the places that we costumed it was actually a like religious boys high school in new jersey uh where the girls came from the like local girls catholic school uh and it was it was lame as <laughs> my school did it a, a good, good chunk of time after I had graduated. Uh, one of my cousins uh, was in it and we had never done Greece because that was considered too risque. So the fact that they were doing, you know, a musical that has, you know, an ensemble of whores uh, <laughs> of, of like dock whores in one scene is wild. But again, the whores are the bad people. Right. That's true. I suppose that's true. Yeah. It's okay because you're not glorifying being a whore because look, the whore dies. Don't you know, girls, that if you have sex with anybody, you'll die? Yep. And the elite do win at the end. <laughs> that's true. The poor people absolutely lose. <laughs> yep. They all die or get arrested. Chivera comes back to life, probably. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. I mean, do you guys just want to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we should maybe we should maybe bring we can that mention up too. it. Just yeah. full disclosure. Full disclosure. Yeah. So we are uh, working on a musical, a canonical official sequel to Les Mis called Dos Mis. This this is based on the notes of Victor Hugo himself. Yeah, based on the yeah, notes of Victor sure. Hugo and like a weird coked out demo tape of the uh, French composer. <laughs> um, 
and it's it's exactly we're we're doing exactly what we think Victor Hugo would have done right. had he been able to had uh, he had the tools to do so had, had he had the tools to do so. Uh, had he been in a position to uh, write a second Les Mis uh, that was also a, a musical. Um, We're just being very true to the characters. We really are. And the time. Mm-hmm. Like, we've, I said I didn't know anything about the rebellion that the Les Mis was on. I, I do. I was lying. We've done so much research on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so much. All of the, uh, like, all the background characters are... are named after actual uh people that fought in that uh in that battle and the uh climactic uh heist of the national baguette de france from the uh empire from the eiffel tower hotel and casino by uh javert valjean cosette marius and gavroche um is is as historically accurate as it can be right i'm not sure that the eiffel tower was even around then but no, but like it, 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 it wanted to. It feels like it would have been, you know, you know. Uh, I don't know. That's one of my favorite things in the uh, the Disney Aladdin stage show oh, that God, they got yeah. rid of and everybody was so mad about. One of the things that made me laugh really hard is when they're flying all over the world, and this is supposed to be like what eight hundred AD, like Middle East, and they fly over like Big Ben and. <laughs> And the Eiffel Tower, like all these things that are like super historically anachronistic for when they're trying to pretend this was City Field. <laughs> like it's just so funny. Yeah, that was that was wild. Between that and the the genie that was allowed to make topical jokes, I've uh, seen. Oh, I've seen this on YouTube again. That show is so wild. Yeah. Also, though, speaking of the characters, I would also like to. I would also like to discuss. <laughs> I'd like to discuss your specific hatred for Gavroche, Brandon. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, because well, you're wrong. <laughs> well, re- real, real quick, just uh, to sort of cap off the dismiss talk. Kind of what the gag of it is is it's a it's a sequel about unnecessary sequels, and like all of the weird like retconning and jamming in of things that can happen in in unjustified sequels. Uh, so we're not just you know throwing everything in the wall at, at the wall, seeing something. what sticks. We're just we're we're mostly just doing that. But it has some thematic resonance. Yeah. To ringing endorsement. <laughs> so, so Gavroche, my issue with that little fucker is, um, he is the uh, how do you, he's just this fucking kid that can like sneak into places. He's a fucking orphan. He's like a tiny baby orphan who lives on the streets because his family's dead. Yeah. And he's the he's the one that like sings the song introducing you to like the the underworld of of Paris, but he's also cockney for some fucking reason. <laughs> yeah. He's the original con baby. That's true. He is the original con baby. What's and con the reason baby? he's Cockney is because that would be the closest approximation of whatever accent they had him have when he was in French, which would be a lower class accent. Hmm. But like, so you, you're so like, you, that's the answer. That's fair. <laughs> uh, the con baby, to answer your question, Andrew, is uh, the best part of Raya and the Last Dragon. Oh, haven't seen it. It's pretty all right. Um, I think, Beth, you liked it more than I did. I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was a good, it was a good film. I enjoyed it, but um, but anyway, con baby was exactly what it sounds like—a little con, con, con woman baby. Yep. And her three monkey friends. Gavrash doesn't have any monkey friends, unfortunately. No. But he's he's the original con baby, and then he dies really tragically at the end. 
Yeah. And you hate him. <laughs> I do, partly because you've got, like, hit after hit after hit in the first half <laughs> of Lame Is. It's just bops on bops on bops. And then you roll up to Paris and you've, you've got the reprise of, like, Look Down. And it's, like, it's real cool. And then you've just got, like, How do you do? My name's Gav Rush. Um, which, like, that's that's fine. I can kind of fuck with that. But uh, when he sings <laughs> his fucking Little People song, it's oh, just yeah, like, why are we suddenly, like, tonally it could not be farther from the rest of the show in a way that I find incredibly jarring and almost See, patronizing. I find that way, I feel that way about Castle Out of Cloud. I feel like Castle Out of Cloud is so totally weird where it is. That's fair. <laughs> it's like we finished Master of the House and here's Castle on a Cloud. Oh, I thought Castle on a Cloud was before Master of the House. No. It's right before, according to my iTunes playlist. It's still in the same, it doesn't matter. It's still a weird total shift. Oh, yeah. Which, like, Lame is, one of the things I do like about Lame is, and it's it's similar to what you said, Andrew, is just how fucking full tilt it is at all times. It's It's never not going as hard as it absolutely can, either emotionally or musically, or spinning the fucking barricade around. So maybe if there weren't these little breaks of annoying kid songs, then it'd be too much. <laughs> mm, that doesn't sound quite right now. I sound mean, right. I, I, I think the thing about Les Mis, the, mus- the musical specifically, I mean, the, the book is depressing French novel. It is what it is. You've read the um, book? I've read parts of the book. I've never read it. It's the like book super long. It's boring. Yeah. yeah, it's really long. Um, and, and not a single uh, song in it. <laughs> not a single song in it. I believe actually Gavroche is one of the Thernardier children in the book. You're right. He is. I think you, I think you told us that during one of our writing sessions. No, I think Andrew told you that because you told me and I said, yeah. <laughs> I often confuse my co writers and my wife. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Point is, the, the, I think one of the int- the funny thing about the musical is that one of the reasons I think the musical is like so enduring and like such a touchstone for so many people, I think especially in comedy, is that it's like we- weirdly, despite being like super depressing, uh, especially in comedy, is that because it is an opera, while it is phenomenal, it does suffer from having to be as broad as opera characters are because you don't get to you go, you only get as much nuance as you can fit into a song. Yeah, and and there's only so much you can you can do with that, and so every character is somehow like a a cliche of itself because they're just they're so broad that they're applicable like people know what like if you do a one day more gag with like everybody coming out and like you know what that is yeah like you you understand the big musical number of it because it's both simultaneously a very like broad archetypal um archetypal i don't know like musical format (laughs) with incredibly broad characters yeah people can't tell but I, i was nodding the whole time I mean, I'm not saying their motivations aren't given nuance. They're they're all given nuance and like spelled out. They don't just do things for no reason. But like, you don't really get a huge look into anybody's inner life other than Jean Valjean at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, and that's it. Other than that, it's just like I'm horny or I'm poor, and those seem to be the two <laughs> moods. The two moods of lame is are either I'm horny or I'm poor. I mean, that seems to be the two modes of lame me. 
Oh, boo. <laughs> boo. Yeah, the king is back, baby. Cut that one out. Yeah, Not in a million years, my dude. I'm going to sneak onto your computer one night and just remove that part of the track. No, you're not. No, I'm not. That's way too much work. Beth, when you saw uh, Les Mis in New York, do you think that Nick Jonas was one of the gav- gavroches that you saw? I don't think so. He would have been way too young. Oh, okay. Oh, when you saw it, it was the youngest Hanson. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. I've seen it a few times, like, into college. So, like, I don't know. It's distinctly possible, I guess. I'm sure he was a good Gavroche. It's distinctly possible, I'm sure, but I had no awareness of it. Oh, okay. I think part of the uh, – one of the other reasons that Les Mis is still so – um beloved even outside of like people that are deeply into musical theater is that it it came about kind of around the same era as cats uh which it which was like the beginning of the like broadway as a spectacle sort of uh era which like you know eventually gives way to like julie tamor's lion king and stuff like that where like uh, they were all just these like m- bigger than life uh, productions that sort of really latched into the cultural uh, consciousness is like that's what Broadway is, you know? Yeah, I guess. Sure. That and the South Park movie is half ladies <laughs> anyway. <laughs> OK, explain. Oh, yeah. The, uh, they, they've straight up said as much like uh, they those dudes, uh, Matt and Trey Parker are uh or Matt Stone and Trey Parker are, are huge uh, Broadway nerds, and uh, there's straight up a uh, One Day More number in the South Park movie called uh, Tomorrow Night, uh, sung by this, like, British kid that we've never seen before and never see again. Um, and, like, it does the whole gag, and there's just, like, a lot of... Les Mis DNA. It's like about a student revolution. Um, it's God. That movie rules. That movie fucking rules. <laughs> now you've just gotten sidetracked thinking about how good that movie is. How many How many times are you going to bring up South Park? By the way, quite a few. I'm sure. <laughs> probably, probably quite a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, if you had to pick a, f- a favorite favorite song from the old from the old the old Mizzy as they call it. I mean, it's got to be it's got to be on my own for me. Even though I've like listened to it so many times and it's just like overdone. This is like Eponine's big like poor me I no one loves me song and it's like ugh. It's just so so powerful. She really belts it. She really you really feel for her. Yeah, I mean, it's my favorite, but I'm also biased as an alto that just always desperately wanted to do that part. <laughs> Fair. I didn't do it till after I left high school, so I never got to do it. People were like, when, what's her face? Susan Boyle was doing, like, I Dreamed a Dream. Mm-hmm. That's just like, that's not even the best song of the musical, you guys. Why is everyone liking this so it's much? It's not. People <laughs> love that one so much, and it's fine. I mean, it's pretty good. Wasn't that a chart topper? Like, di- didn't that do pretty well, like, on the radio? It did, and it. you know what? It does as much for me as memory does. They they hit the same exact part of my brain. I'm like, oh well, they're they're basic. I can't. 
That's the one that goes memories from yeah. the musical no, cast. <laughs> that's not what I was going to say, Brandon. The big song that say, comes at the end. If you keep interrupting me, you're not going to get the pure joy you're going to get out of what I was about to say. It's two thirds into the show and there's 20 okay, left to it. go. <laughs> no, go on. Just gonna say both both memory both memory and um I dream to dream are my teach my TTEs my TTEs <laughs> of the musical. It's when I know it's safe to take a bathroom break. <laughs> yeah, because nobody else is gonna be out there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I dream to dream is it's still good, but it's just like maybe I, I think I'm just like snobby about it. It's just like ugh. it's just like overplayed, like. Like, I would say I'm, like, a deep-cut guy, but on my own, it's not a deep-cut cut at all. I'm not, like, what's a deep-cut? Like, red and black, maybe, is a deep-cut. Yeah. Or, like, beggars at the feast. <laughs> red and black would be one nobody fucking knows. That's the one that the that the school kids sing as they're all trying to convince each other that they're not going to get murdered tomorrow, right? Uh, kind yeah. of. Yeah, and it's, like, Marius also, like, realizing that he loves uh, Cosette, too. Yeah. It's just, like, it's, like, super... Super dramatic and like yeah. kind of like just comes out of nowhere. I am a god. I am a ghast. Is Marius in love at last? <laughs> I've never seen I did not live until Yeah, it's like today. half a war song and half like a bunch of dudes making fun of Marius for having a crush on a girl. <laughs> it's such a weird well, song. Joke's gonna be on them. On them with bullets. Ooh. Yeah, kinda. Um... I, th- I think my, my favorite is uh, probably Master of the House, but I always tend to like the song in a show that is like the weird old guy singing a weird old song about being like a weird old scumbag. <laughs> Does this happen in a lot of musicals? Uh, well, see also like uh, King Herod's song or uh, from Joseph or Bustopher Jones the cat about okay, King Herod's song is from Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh yeah, right, Jesus Christ Superstar. It's the Pharaoh in <laughs> Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Different part, different part of the Bible. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, but yeah, anytime uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber specifically, but w- whenever any composer gets into their like boom, 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 like song about a weird old dude bullshit, I'm just like so on board. Um, that's also the only song in the show that is funny and has jokes. So like you get that like 30 minutes in and then there's two more hours of tragedy. I hate to tell you, but I think the Gavrash song has some jokes too. I was about to say you're actually wrong because little people for sure has some jokes and is funny. No, little people is a joke. Oh, (laughs) I'm I'm glad that child died. Okay. (laughs) Now, do you, I don't know if Brandon has seen it, but Beth, I'm assuming you may have seen the 10th anniversary concert or or the 25th. I think I've probably seen both. I've seen the 25th. Okay. What, what do we, what do we think about those? I mean, there, I've seen a few different concert versions of Les Mis and like, I don't know. They're always good performances, but if you don't know the story of Les Mis, I don't think it's very helpful. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, like, those are very much designed for, like, here you go, Les Mis nerds, here's a fix. I think, like, at this point, I don't really know what happens in between the songs because I just... Watch them on YouTube. Watch, yeah, I just watch them on YouTube. I watch the... I've seen the 10th anniversary thing a lot. 
like nothing happens between the songs because it's an opera. So there's some text here and there. No, there's really not. It's so like that's the thing. Like technically, you're getting the whole story when you watch the concert, but without the pairing of the acting, you have no fucking clue what's going on. <laughs> all, all, all it says is Paris? Question <laughs> mark. Yeah. Actually, the uh, the 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 opening uh, title gag in Dos Miz is uh, it says uh, Paris, whatever the year was. Dot dot dot. The next day. <laughs> <laughs> It will be 1832. Uh, the other song you're really into is The Confrontation, which is another one that I feel like is like such a weird archetype that like people just do and yep. people know what the bit is. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Think I saw it from like when – actually, I didn't really know The Confrontation. I probably only knew like the big bangers before. And then like around when How I Met Your Mother was popular, Jason Siegel and – Oh, yes. Paris mm-hmm. were on like a talk show. They did it on some talk show, yeah. And, did it, on a, and did, it on a, did it on a talk show. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And why don't I know this song and do it all the time? I saw this, the same thing with uh, David Wayne from Stella and Paul Rudd <laughs> at a stand-up show once, and it was wild. Wait, they, they just did the confrontation? Yep. <laughs> It's so bad. It's so badass too when you do it because it's like for people that don't know, it's like Javert and, and Valjean, the two male leads, just like basically just singing at each other, and it's like and they are like counterpoint and counter melodies too. So like you do have to like really keep time really well and like know your part. It's not an easy thing to do. You have to be yeah. like really in sync with your partner for it to work. Oh yeah, like like the, some of them like the moments when they land together on a one or on a word. Javert. Yeah, on Javert uh, are really powerful. Though it is kind of funny that it's just a a song that amounts to two dudes yelling at each other. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, doesn't most of history just amount to that? That's true. Yeah. A a mayor and a cop yelling at each other over over some arcane laws. He just wanted to feed his family. He stole a loaf of bread to feed his, his sister's child. That's true. It also it's always kind of bugged me that like he goes on the run and his cover job is to become a mayor. <laughs> it always bothers me that he goes on the run and never in his entire life goes back to check on that family that he went to prison for stealing a loaf of bread to feed the kid. Oh yeah. Maybe he does in the book. I feel like the I feel like the book has a lot of stuff. The that... book has a lot more stuff like between the work camp and the priest. Yeah. And it goes on a little farther. Like, at, like by the end, it's referenced that the Thenardiers have wound up in America in the slave trade. Yeah, like some of some of the earlier film adaptations that are obviously not musicals um, are a lot closer to the book. And they're, it's kind of it's basically watching Les Mis the musical and like watching one of the older adaptations is basically the difference between like the BBC Pride and Prejudice and the uh, modern movie Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> That's fair. You get the story, but it's not nearly as accurate. Wait, is the modern one the one with Kira Knightley? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Liam Neeson's and uh, Uma Thurman. What? What? <laughs> the 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 uh, the lame is movie from like the. We're talking about Pride and Prejudice. We're talking about Pride and Prejudice here, Brandon. Oh, right. Duh. Duh. What are you talking about? We're talking about the Bennett sisters. You're you're right. Uh, 
A, th- a thousand uh, Darcy's. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, back in the '90s, there was a a uh, film version of Les Mis that was not a musical that starred Uma Thurman and Liam Neeson's. I was not aware of that one. Yep, and some other people, but mostly the two of them. Yeah, I haven't. I don't know anything about it. I can imagine Liam Neeson being good, but yeah. But it also suffers by like all of the reviews and coverage of it I saw when it came out was basically why aren't they singing? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and even the cast having to be like, we just we wanted to present the story as as faithfully as we could to Hugo's original work. But Hugo cares. Who fucking cares? <laughs> yeah, go fuck yourselves. Hugo, fuck yourself. <laughs> and then Alan Arkin heard it and went, that gives me an idea. Let me call Ben Affleck. Oh, my God. So uh, are there, before we kind of wrap up, are there any other musicals that you like that kind of scratch a similar itch to Les Mis? I mean, I think I only like, like, the big popular music musicals. That's okay. Some of the ones that aren't as big and aren't as popular also aren't as good. There's <laughs> a reason people don't like them as much. I think I just, like, I, I just haven't been exposed. Like, I don't think I've, I don't even know that many Sondheim musicals. I mean... Oh, fuck Sondheim. Sorry. Sorry. I hate Sondheim so much. <laughs> the, I think the mu- the music for Sondheim... I'm, I'm, like, a, I'm like into just, like, very, like, nice, simple melodies. And I think Sondheim is a little too... Up his own ass? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I have a lot of feelings about Sondheim. <laughs> <laughs> he he's best when he's cut with a little Bernstein. Yeah, I mean he, but he didn't do the music for West. That's true. Sorry. So. Yeah. Yeah, but um, what do I like? I like Phantom. I like Rent. Some. So. Um, so basic. Um, That's okay. Yeah. Hmm. They're bangers for a reason. What about you, Brandon? What if you had to pick? Um, I think I'm kind of in a similar boat. Like I know you the- enjoy cats now. I do, I do enjoy, I do enjoy, I do enjoy Cats now. Is it only um, because of the movie? Um, yes. I, I had become kind of fascinated by Cats in the lead up to the movie and then kind of got low-key into it. And then, uh, seeing the film in theaters was one of the best, uh, theatrical experiences I've ever had. Um, just in terms of like being fucking wild and also really, really baked. Um, but, uh. I legitimately love the movie because it's this weird, like, ab- out, almost outsider art piece uh, that just makes so many giant, insane decisions. He also got to see it before they fixed the VFX. I did not. So there were, were there buttholes? There were buttholes and there was a Judy Dench's wedding ring. <laughs> he saw the butthole cut. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and, uh, oh God, what else is good? Um, yeah, I like I like Rant a lot. That's another, like... Sort of feels like Baby's first musical in a, mm-hmm. in in a lot of ways, which also, you know, Les Mis kind of could be. Um, South Park the musical. Oh yeah, South Park the musical. Yeah, he's very into South Park the musical. He really liked Book of Mormon related to South Park the musical. Yeah, Book of Mormon was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. But like, but we've also both seen a lot of theater because we grew up doing it, and he went to school for playwriting. So <laughs> yep, yep, yep. We could just list musicals we've seen for hours. Wait, Brandon, have you have you written a musical before? Uh, no. Technically, Wheel of Invention was a musical. Oh, that's true. Oh, I suppose that's true. Yeah. Um, in that case, yes, but uh, <laughs> other otherwise, no. It's something I'd always sort of meant to, but up until a few years ago, I, I was I always looked at at songwriting as this like 
you know, arcane art that I didn't have access to because uh, I wasn't, like, magical. Right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I, uh, Dos Miz is my first swing at, at a full, full stage musical. <laughs> it's going to be so good, you guys. Oh, yeah, it's going to be, be so beautifully and, stupid and people are starting to get vaccines and hopefully we'll be able to do it on a real stage yay one day or and if not a real stage then the pack <laughs> that is a real stage no i know it's the pack at the complex which if you guys have some money you should go check out the complex theaters go fund me because they're an amazing space and if we lose them we lose like six theaters on theater row yeah uh and uh times are tough yeah yeah so if people wanted to find more Andrew Lee on their oh, internet geez. or on their social media, uh, how could they do that? Or if you, you're, you can also say, don't find me. <laughs> We've definitely had people be like, don't find me. We're like, I am not, I am not readily available on social media. I do have a Twitter that I barely use. Um, it's Andrew, another W underscore Lee. I made it specifically difficult to find <laughs> by, that, by that username. Um, that's like the only guy that I have, but, uh, there you go, then. that's fine. Yeah. I, I tweeted the other day though. So I feel like pretty proud of myself. It was a picture of a dog. It's a hellscape. So like, you're not missing much. Yeah. You're probably good. To, yeah. You're, you're good. The dog me. photos definitely like the best part of social media though. Yeah. So you got that part right. Yeah. You're doing that right. Thank you. What about you, Brandon? Yeah. If you wanted to find more of my mess, uh, you could find me at Hell Yes Brandon on all the aforementioned hell sites. Um, I've been doing a lot of like streaming music shows uh, lately, so there's probably one of those on the horizon uh, soonish. Um, Inkblot is on SoundCloud and YouTube. Um, my EP is hopefully out by now, but we're recording this early enough in March that I don't know, but I'm hoping it will be. And if it is, uh, Hat and a Hat is available at brandonbeck.bandcamp.com today or tomorrow or yesterday or maybe not, but probably. Okay. Brandon, have you thought that you might have too much content? Uh, no such thing. Got to be on that grind, baby. I'm, I think I'm, I'm balancing you. Fair. Oh, I have nothing either, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's it for me. Uh, but I guess, Beth, you don't have anything. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I mean, I don't have anything. If you want to find me online, you can find me at at bscores, B-E-E-S-C-O-R-E-S with an underscore afterwards. But the easiest way to find me is to follow the podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at at IntuitPod. And you can follow the hashtag IntuitPod on Instagram. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook if you get any mileage out of that. But the way the algorithm works, I doubt you'll ever see it. Um, and yeah, thank you as always to Kaylin West and Tiny Stills for the use of our theme song. Starting over is a lot like giving up off the album. Falling is like flying. That's all I got. Cool. Well, Andrew, at last you've been on our show. <laughs> it's over now. I'm saying you can go. Before you say another word, Brendan, before you kick me off your podcast again, listen to me. I've got a few more things to plug. We're at an hour's flat. <laughs> we have no time. Come with me, guest 24601. <laughs> Buy a Casper mattress. I was going to stop this, but it's just... I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast over? Podcast Les Miserables over. Les Miserables ended.